Well, hey, good morning, Living Waters Fellowship. How are you? Congratulations on making it here this morning. Yes, there you go. There you go. Daylight savings time. I don't get it, but hey, here we are, and you did it. So way to go. My name is Jason Jackson. I'm one of the pastors at Sailorville Church, just up the road uh, between North Des Moines and Ankeny, and I'm so, so, so very glad to be here this morning. Thank you for being here. We, uh, Pastor Josh Daggett and I kind of traded spaces this morning. He's preaching right now at Sailorville Church, our home church, and uh, I can't help but think you got the bum end of the deal here this morning. So listen, there's still time to leave if you want to. Sailorville has a service beginning in about a half an hour if you want to get up there uh, to hear your pastor, but uh, I'd love it if you stayed. We're going to be in a great passage of scripture this morning, and I'm so glad to uh, have the privilege of being here with you. Um, as I said, I'm on staff at Sailorville, and we love Living Waters Fellowship. We love our engaged network. Isn't this a fantastic place to serve? We love what God is doing in the engaged network and what He's doing here at Living Waters. You guys are buying the fairway building. That's amazing. That's not a surprise, is it? Did I just let the. Okay, you knew that, right? Okay, surprise. <laughs> hey, we could do all kinds of stuff with Pastor Josh not here this morning. You want to vote on something? Let's do it right now. My wife Meredith is here with me, our son Judah is uh, there next to her, and then Meredith's mom Linda is all the way from Florida here this morning just for this morning's service. Uh, that's how important uh, you folks are to us. Uh, now, Meredith is on staff at Sailorville as one of our women's counselors, and uh, I'm the discipleship pastor, and so it's great to be a part of what God is doing here uh, even this morning at Living Waters. Uh, our son Judah is six and a half years old, he's in kindergarten, and he is nonstop action. This last uh, week, we went to a teacher-parent conference, and um, we sat down at a table with his kindergarten teacher. She's fantastic. She's got 24 others just like him, and, you know, if you're a teacher, God bless you. You do an amazing job, uh, because it takes two of us to take care of this guy, and this teacher's got 24 just like him, right? We sat down across the table with her, and she had this binder of all the stuff that he's been doing, and she shows us his academic stuff, and the math is fine, the reading's fine, the science is fine, and all those things you do in kindergarten are fine. And then she pulls out his coloring sheets and, like, writing stories and coloring pictures and stuff, and his favorite color is blue. So every single coloring sheet is blue, and not in the lines, but just plain scribbled all over the place, and we laughed at it, and she said at one point, you know, I did actually ask him, does he even see the lines? <laughs> That's like a very good description of his life. Does he even see the, does he even realize that there's boundaries, right? We are nonstop activity with this guy. He's always on level 11. We, every once in a while, we put him to bed, and we look at each other, and we say, can we just go to bed right now? Now, sometimes we go to bed and the sun is still up. That's how tired we are. In fact, last night it was like, daylight savings, it's a great excuse to go to bed early. So we put him down, we went down, and here we are this morning, bright-eyed. We're busy, we're tired, we're overwhelmed sometimes. You know what I've noticed? We're kind of all like that, aren't we? We sort of all feel a little bit busy, maybe a little bit stressed, maybe a little overwhelmed at life. See if you can identify with me. I've, I've felt myself like, like this, especially the last several weeks. Maybe you're like me. You change lanes when you get to the red light just before you see that line of traffic because there's only two cars in this lane and there's four cars in this one, right? So you swerve over right before so you can get in the lane with two cars. Like that really makes a difference, right, when the light turns green. 
Or maybe you're like this, you've got all the notifications turned on on your phone because every time you get something, you might be missing that really important Facebook message. So it dings or it vibrates and you're like, oh my goodness, what is that? You like that? Or maybe you're like this, you feel like you're 10 minutes late for everything. Listen, you're not going to get there on time if you leave your house when it's supposed to start. You get that, right? We have people at our church that show up 20 minutes late every single time. I'm like, where do you live? 20 minutes away, they say. Well, you're doing it wrong. You need to leave 20 minutes earlier. You don't leave when the service starts. That doesn't make any sense. Maybe you're like this. You can't remember the last time you had dinner with your family more than a few nights in a row. And TV trays in front of the TV don't count, right? Maybe you feel this one. You didn't take all your vacation time last year from your job. Listen, America, America needs to take more vacation. It's free vacation. Take your vacation. Or maybe you wake up exhausted because you laid in bed most of the night thinking about everything that you had to do the next day. That was Meredith and I last night. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. We're like, can we get up yet? No, we need to fall back asleep. Then it's 4 o'clock. Can we get up yet? No, we should probably sleep again. We're not even sleeping. We're just, sta- we're just laying there awake thinking about everything that we need to do. We're exhausted, aren't we? Maybe you take your phone everywhere with you. Phones are great, but my goodness, we're chained to them, aren't we? We take it to the mailbox to check the mail. Oh, I, I, I might miss something if, if I'm checking the mail without my phone. We take it to the grocery store. We got our phones here this morning at church, don't we? Of course we do. You take your phone to the bathroom. I won't ask for a raise of hands how many of you do that, because I know it's every single person in here. If you have a phone, you take your phone to the bathroom with you. People, put your phone in a time out. Time to cut the chain. Eugene Peterson said this, Busyness is an illness of the spirit. Busyness is an illness of the spirit. You know it's true, don't you? You can feel that restlessness right now, down to your very spirit. It's a soul-deep exhaustion that doesn't go away just by hitting the snooze button in the morning a couple times. It's soul-deep I was talking to a new Christian at church a few weeks ago, and he's got a new job, and he's got a young family. They just found out they're pregnant again. They're trying to get involved in everything at Sailorville and meet a whole bunch of new people and jump into all the events and and the basketball and the ladies' conference and everything else that we're doing. And he looked at me at one point, and he said, I just feel like I'm missing out on stuff. And I kind of chuckled, and I said, yeah, we kind of all feel like that sometimes, don't we? And in the course of the conversation, I reminded him of something that Corey Ten Boom once said. This is what she said. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. There's a whole bunch of truth in that. In fact, I found that in my own life, sin and busyness have basically the same effect. They cut off my connection to God, to other people, and even to my own soul. And so why do we do it? Why do we allow ourselves to get so hurried and harried and distracted and so stressed? (laughs) I did a little bit of research. That's pastor speak for I googled this. And and here's, here's what the interwebs say about why we're so busy, right? There's seven reasons. We see, number one, busyness as a badge 
of honor. We see it as a badge of honor. Maybe you feel this. You're at work, people ask you how you're doing, and you answer, I'm busy. If I were to say to you individually this morning, come up and have a conversation, and we, we got past the chit-chat, and I looked at you and I said, how are you really doing? How many of you would say, I'm just so busy, right? We all do that. It's kind of like our natural reaction. We just feel more important when we're busy. Like if you're not busy, then what in the world are you doing with your life? Right? That's sort of how we feel. In fact, in America, we're defined by what we do. We're defined sometimes by our careers or, or what we produce. It's the first question that we ask at parties or even at church sometimes. And often the first tidbit of information that we share when we're meeting people. The implication is that if I'm not busy doing something, I'm somehow less than. Or at least I'm worth less than those who are busy. Do you feel like that sometimes? Busyness is a badge of honor. And maybe you feel this one. We see busyness as job security. So be honest. How many of you, when you're working in your cubicle or in your office, when the boss goes by, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm working really hard, right? I'm super busy, boss. Or you grab the shovel and you start digging when he shows up, right? Maybe you do that. Because busyness is like job security. We think that if we're not accomplishing the tasks that we've been given, then we'll get fired, and maybe you should get fired if you're not accomplishing the things that you're supposed to be doing. But busyness is an outward sign of productivity and company loyalty, right, in our culture. The smartphones have blurred the line between work and home. We're like always on call, even when we're not on call. So if your boss emails you after hours, it's like expected that you email him back. Or, or if your boss texts you, you like better get back with her before the morning because that's the way our world is right now. We're just so very busy. Number three, maybe some of you see, see busyness as necessity. Now this is a tough one because some of you may be working multiple jobs to make ends meet and maybe you're caring for your parents at home or extended family or maybe you've even got kids at home and you're trying to take care of them as well and so you have multiple jobs to try to bring income in to help out the rest of the people that are living in your home and it may be truly necessary for you to survive but maybe not. Here's a couple questions if that's you. Are you living above your means? Are you buying things that maybe you don't need? Or maybe you're spending money that you don't really have. Here's one that I always laugh at. Maybe you're always working so you can pay for things you don't need to impress people that you don't know. Are you doing that? Stop that! <laughs> right, Andy? That's a great counseling tip. Stop that! <laughs> No, but I need counseling. No, you just need to stop doing that, right? It's very, very simple. Here's another one. Number four, we see busyness as a way to cure FOMO. You know what that is, right? It's fear of missing out. How many of you have that? Judah comes home from school. We pick him up. We, we're driving home, and uh, he goes, hey, Daddy, what are we doing tonight? He's in kindergarten. He wants to know our nightly plans, right? Hey, what are we doing tonight? Well, buddy, we're going to have sort of a family night, just kind of relax at home. Oh, well, what's the, what's the matter with that? Hey, buddy, made you made it. Good to see you this morning. You got your coffee. You're ready to go. Amen. Amen. That's right. So Judah, he's got this FOMO, right? He's got fear of missing out. What are we doing? Well, he goes, my friends are going to the trampoline park. What are we doing? My friends are going to the park. What's my life, you know? 
this kindergarten guidance counseling is amazing. He's all in touch with his feelings all of a sudden. He's like, I feel so left out. We got this fear of missing out. So we fill our lives with busyness. Here's another one. We see busyness as a sign that we're connecting with others. We run around like crazy, dropping the kids off here and there, or grabbing coffee with so-and-so, and being seen at this party or this gathering. We just pop in and pop out. But are we actually really connecting with people at a deeper level? I would say most of the time we're not. In fact, I think social media has kind of killed our sense of community, hasn't it? We scroll through the lives of people that we follow and somehow we feel like we've connected with them because we see a picture online of what they had for lunch. You're not connecting with people when you do that, not in a real way at least. That's not true connection. That's not connecting with people, that's creeping on people. You get the difference, right? Here's another one. We see busyness as a time filler. Instead of taking time to be refreshed, we feel like we need to fill that time with projects or media or other priorities. Last summer, I did this myself. I saw busyness as a time filler. I've, I've got free space. I need to fill it with something. So I'm out on a kayak at Big Creek just, just uh, outside of Polk City. I'm on the kayak getting rest and refreshment. And I'm bored, so I pull out my phone in the middle of Big Creek, and I'm scrolling through Instagram to see pictures of other guys on their kayaks at the same time. I'm so busy, I'm trying to fill my time with just random stuff. Why don't I just lay back and relax? Because I can't do it. i got to see what other people are doing. How are they relaxing? <laughs> That's not relaxing at all. Here's the last one. We see busyness as a way to escape. Now, this is kind of serious. And if this is you, let's have a conversation. Maybe, maybe you avoid deep conversations and relationships that take time by filling your days with things that really don't matter in the long run. And one of the reasons that small groups are so very, very important, groups like you have here at Living Waters, is because you don't always want to do the hard work of being in community with each other. But if you don't, if you're not in community, if you're not known and know others very, very well, then how are you going to grow? We tell our people at Sailorville, there's a direct correlation between your commitment to your small group and the community you get from your small group. You're not going to get community if you don't give the commitment. So do the hard work of deep relationships. Don't just stay busy as a way to escape serious relationships. And so this morning, if you feel overwhelmed, if you're stressed, if you're tired, if you're running on empty and you're wondering, is all of this really the way it's supposed to be? I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many are there this morning? Oh, I'm just so tired. I'm so busy. There's hope. There is hope this morning. It's not a quick fix. It's not a 60-minute podcast. It's not a revolutionary eating plan. It's not an essential oil. <sighs> Is that okay to say here? It's not the vacation of your dreams. It's not a 10-minute trick or a self-help book. Folks, the hope is Jesus in Christ alone. We sang that just a couple minutes ago. The hope is Jesus. John chapter 10 verse 10. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it. What's the word? 
abundantly, full and overflowing. Christ wants you to thrive, not just survive, not just to land on the pillow at night and say, whew, I made it. That's not living. That's just surviving. God wants you to wake up ready to soak in all of the new and the overflowing mercies that he offers to each and every one of us every single day. Matthew chapter 11, our brother read it. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you weary? That word weary means to be tired, to feel fatigued, to be exhausted with toil or work, to be burdened, maybe even because of grief. That's the same word that Peter uses in Luke chapter 5, verse 5, when, when the apostle comes to Jesus and says, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. Remember that story? Peter says, we've worked hard. We are weary. We're exhausted. We're tired. And what does Jesus say? Come to me. Come to me, all who've worked hard all night or all week or all month or for several years, and I will give you rest. All who are overloaded, all who are burdened by things that you cannot carry. And Jesus says, I will give you rest. Rest is, is to cease from any movement, to recover and collect one's strength, to be refreshed. And here's our definition for this morning. Rest is a place where our souls stop striving. Did you catch that in that song in Christ alone where strivings cease? Oh my goodness, doesn't that sound amazing? Where striving ceases. Rest. Is that a word that would describe your year so far? Some of you've picked out a, a word for the year, right? It's sort of popular right now. Rest. Is that your word for the year? Is that a word that would come anywhere close to describing how you feel right now? Or as you look back at your life over the last maybe 12 months, maybe there's other words that come to mind. Maybe, maybe you would say, listen, here's a summary word for you. Tired. Overwhelmed. Burdened. Maybe you're anxious this morning. Or fearful. Or depressed. Or stressed. Or tense. Or chaotic or exhausted, or lost, or afraid, or sad, or frustrated, or angry even, overwhelmed, unproductive, unsettled. Certainly not rest, though. There is hope. <laughs> there is hope, and that hope is found in God's Word this morning, and we're in Hebrews chapter 4, and we're in the middle of the series, right, that you folks here at Living Waters have been going through called The Greatest, and so you already know in Hebrews chapter 4 that the book of Hebrews is essentially a challenge to a group of men and women who've been introduced to a saving faith with Jesus Christ out of a background of the Jewish religion, and so they're being persecuted for their new faith. And so they're in danger of kind of slipping or drifting, as Pastor Josh mentioned a couple weeks ago, drifting back into something more comfortable or more convenient. They're being tempted to slide into sort of a cultural Christianity, something that's lukewarm, that's not too radical or crazy, not too sold out for Jesus, but just enough that they can have their feet in both worlds, my old religion and my new faith in Christ. The problem with this kind of Christianity is that, guess what? It's not really Christianity 
at all. It's not Christianity for the readers of Hebrews. And it's not Christianity for you and I. Jesus calls us to follow him with everything. To drop our nets like those early disciples. And to be willing to lose it all to gain him. And you know the passage of scripture. To love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. Not just some. Not just almost all. But all. And so the letter to the Hebrews reads like a coach's halftime speech, right? He's, he's in the locker room, and he's urging his team. He's trying to convince them. He's compelling them to come out of the locker room firing on all cylinders. He says, don't slack off. Don't fade away. Don't back down. Don't drift off. Don't burn out. And to convince them, it goes all the way back to their Jewish history to prove that the Jesus they're now following is better. He is the greatest, like the name of your preaching series at Living Waters. He is better than the angels. He's better than the kings. In all of Israel's history, he's better than any of those kings. He's a better priest. Jesus is a better sacrifice. And then even in chapter 3, he's better than Moses. And to the Jewish listeners and readers, that had to be amazing. Jesus is even better than Moses. And then in verse 7 of chapter 3, the writer reminds these Hebrews of a terrible time in their history. He quotes Psalm 95, which records God's response to Israel's sin, a, a story that every Hebrew reader would have instinctly, instinctively recognized. They would have gotten this. Here's the story. God had delivered his people from 400 years of slavery in Egypt, incredible oppression, and he had cared for them. God had led them. He'd guided them, and he protected them. The pillar of fire by night, remember that story? And the pillar of cloud by day, that's how they followed God through the wilderness. The crossing of the Red Sea, can you imagine being there? You're walking through the Red Sea on both sides on dry land. You ever been to one of those aquariums where you can walk through the tunnel and the fish are all over the place? I just pictured that when I pictured the Israelites walking through the Red Sea. There's like fish like popping their head out right here next to you. And you're on dry land. And you get over to the other side and you turn around and whoosh, the ocean comes in and there goes all the Egyptians. God did that for them. He provided them food, manna, quail. He made water come out of a rock. Folks, that's a blessing. That doesn't happen every day. God had done that for them. And yet, after all these blessings, God's people still rebelled. They still hardened their hearts. In fact, Verse 12 of chapter 3 tells us very specifically that the biggest failure of the children of Israel was their sin of unbelief. The writer says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. And then in verse 18 and 19, more specifically, he says, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. If you have an app and you can highlight or a Bible that you can circle or underline, underline that word rest and then the word unbelief in verse 18 and 19 of chapter 3. And now, now here's the first time we find that word rest in our passage. 
And put yourself in the place of a first century Jewish reader reading this letter. You know the stories of your ancestors being held as slaves in Egypt. And of course you're familiar with the Passover and the escape from Egypt and everything God did to sustain his people in the wilderness. You know about the great promises that God gave Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that their descendants would one day live in a land flowing with milk and honey. They called it Canaan or the promised land. This is the rest that they look forward to. After 400 years in slavery, and then again, 40 years wandering around in the wilderness, this was the rest that they had been waiting for. But because they didn't believe God could defeat the giants of Canaan, because they didn't trust that he was who he said he was, and he could do what he said he was going to do, God didn't allow that disobedient generation to enter into the promised land, to enter into that rest. And here's the point. They forfeited their rest because they didn't believe in God's word. They forfeited their rest because they didn't believe in God's Words. So what does that mean for us today as Christ followers in the year 2020? And so this is where we pick up verse 8 of chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Verse 10, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Here's the point. Even though Joshua eventually did take a new generation of Israelites into Canaan, that wasn't the ultimate rest that God had in mind for his people. Now, verse 9 tells us that there still is a Sabbath, another word for rest, available for Christ followers today. And so today, friends, the place of rest is still open. We can live in a place of peace. But here's the thing. It's not a physical place like the promised land. It's a better rest. A rest where our very souls stop striving. And so to the overwhelmed and to the stressed and struggling, to the single mom or the divorced dad, to the addict to the poor, to the high schooler and the CEO, to everyone that needs rest, there's still hope for people like you and me today. Isn't that awesome? There's still hope. And that's the foundation of God's message to us today. There is still a rest open for us. God offers rest. The door's not shut. The time isn't passed. You've not missed your last opportunity. Hear the words of verse 9 again. There remains, therefore, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The door is still open. The time is now. So where do we find that rest? Look at verse 12. The Word of God is active, living, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. See that word for at the beginning of verse 12? Do you see that? That means that there's a strong connection between the ideas from the verses before verse 12 and the concepts in verse 12 and following. And here's the connection. 
The Old Testament Israelites gave up their right to enter into the place of rest because they didn't take God at his word. That's the point of this whole section in chapter 3 and chapter 4. And that's the warning for us today. Don't be like the Israelites who saw God bless them over and over and over. And living waters, hasn't God blessed us over and over and over? And yet the children of Israel forgot him. They had experienced God's guidance. God had watched over them, provided for them, faithfully forgiven them time after time, but they'd forgotten him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Satan doesn't fill us with a hatred for God, but with a forgetfulness of God. I'll say that again. Satan doesn't fill us with a hatred for God, but a forgetfulness of God. And so the Israelites forgot about all God had done for them. Don't be like them. Don't be like them. We can choose to live in a place of rest, a place where our souls stop thriving. And this is how. By trusting in the promises of God found In his word. That's what verse 12 and verse 13 are all about. So to find the kind of rest that your soul needs right now, keep on believing the promises found in God's word. Be diligent. Pay attention. Consider. Watch out, like the writer of Hebrews says, and don't harden your hearts. In other words, the pathway to true rest is a path of regular, intentional, focused, believing, and obeying the Word of God. That's how to find true rest. It's found by believing the promises in God's Word. Now, what are those promises? You probably have your favorites. Here's a couple that I picked out a couple weeks ago. These are some of the amazing promises in the Bible. God is good. Psalm 145 verse 9 says this, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he's made. It doesn't matter where you live, what color your skin is, what your house looks like, what you do for a living, whether you're busy or not. God has compassion on all that he has made. Isn't that amazing? He's an equal opportunity God. First Chronicles 16 34, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures, do you know the word? Forever. That doesn't ever end. That's forever. Psalm 100 verse 5, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. God is good. That's a promise. Here's another one. God loves to give good gifts to his children. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? In other words, a God who gives up his own and only son. I mean, that's like way up there with the things that you would give someone, right? How in the world would he not give us everything that falls underneath that? If he gives us Jesus, he's going to give you everything underneath that. Nothing is more important than Jesus, and he gave us Jesus. How will he not also give us everything that we need? Matthew 6, 31. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? I think that sometimes. 
Who's going to take care of us? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Here's another great one. God answers our prayers. You're a people of prayer here at Living Waters, aren't you? I know you are. God answers your prayers. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And guess what? It will be given to you. Do you have decisions to make? Do you have choices to pick between? Do you need wisdom? The Bible says if you ask for it, God will give it to you. Psalm 37.4, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know how to get what you want? Want what God wants. <laughs> then it's easy for him to give you what you want because you want the same thing he wants. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart because they're the same desires as he has for you. And here's the last one for this morning. God is for you. Listen to this from Exodus 14, 14. And just breathe this in this morning. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. How many need that this morning? The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Oh my goodness. The psalmist follows that up in Psalm 46.10. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God is for you, friends. It may not seem like it sometimes, but God's promise in his word is that he is on your side. He's for you. Do you believe those promises? If you find yourself restless right now, stressed or overwhelmed or ready to throw in the towel, find your rest in believing the promises of God. So what we need is protection from unbelief or maybe even believing things that aren't true. Does Satan ever try to lie to you? My wife in the counseling office says, Satan lies to you in your voice. He wants you to believe things from your own voice. Those are lies from Satan often. Day in and day out, we need to fight unbelief in the promises of God. It's unbelief that will keep us from experiencing the kind of soul-satisfying peace that God wants for us. Just like unbelief kept the Israelites out of the promised land. And friends, that's what's at stake in the call for diligence in verse 11. And that's why the Word of God in verse 12 is so critical for us. The Word of God penetrates to the bottom of all of our defenses and deceptions and exposes our beliefs or our unbeliefs. The writer of Hebrews says the Bible is like a sword or a scalpel. Any Star Wars fans out here? The Bible's like a lightsaber, right? It cuts us open. It reveals exactly what we are inside or who we are. Now, sometimes it opens us up to get the infection out. And sometimes it opens us up to see what sin we just need to cut off. The Bible gives us exactly what we need when we need it. And so are we trusting in the promises of God or aren't we? Our very souls are at stake. That's serious stuff. So how can we find our rest in the promises of God? Five quick action steps to take away here this morning so that Monday morning you can find rest. 
No matter what you do for a living, no matter what your family looks like, no matter what you have tomorrow, you can find rest by doing this. Number one, treasure God's word above all worldly counsel. Treasure God's word above all worldly counsel. Shut Dr. Phil off. Turn Oprah off. Get into the Word of God. It amazes me sometimes why people will pay a psychologist hundreds and hundreds of dollars when they can open up their Bible for free. But pastor, I have like relational problems. I need real help. I need like life help. The Bible is all about relationships. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a summary of the entire Bible. That's relationship, isn't it? Get into God's Word. Treasure it above all worldly counsel. Number two, read, study, memorize, and meditate on God's Word. Listen, friends, it's not going to do any good if you don't know what it says. You have to memorize key verses because you won't obey if it's not in your heart. That's what Psalm 119.11 says. Your word have I hid in my heart so that I might not what? Sin against you. We can't always rely on Google. You don't have a choice sometimes. Do you know Scripture? Do you know what God would want you to do? Number three, apply, trust, and obey God's Word. The Bible's not written just for our information, but for our transformation by its application. Friends, the point of Bible study is not to fill your head with trivia. Oh, I know more than the other guy. That doesn't matter. Not to fill your head with trivia, but to change your hearts through truth. The Bible is about truth, not just trivia. So always study it with this question. How does God want me to change because of what I just studied? Number four, live with your heart exposed to God's word. Don't cover up any sinful thoughts. If the word of God convicts you, stop and confess confess that to God right away. If need be, resolve to go to someone that you've wronged and ask forgiveness. Remember, God knows every sinful thought you've ever had, and he still sent his son to bear the penalty of your sin. That's amazing. So live with your heart exposed to God's word. And then here's the last action step. Maybe this is especially for you this morning. Breathe in what God breathed out. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that the whole Bible, every word, every story, every truth is inspired. And that word means breathed out. Think about that picture. Find space every day where you can rest with the Lord and his word and breathe in what he has breathed out. So if you're looking for rest this week, you won't find it on social media. Trust me, you won't find it on social media. You won't find it in a vacation. You won't even find it in a nap, friends. You won't find it in a substance. You won't find it in a relationship or a new job or in a better financial situation. Listen carefully. This week, when you feel yourself beginning to get busy or hurried or stressed or overwhelmed, remember, take a deep breath of the promises of God found in His Word and believe his promises. One more thing. There is a rest that lasts for eternity, and that's heaven. One day when Jesus comes back for all of those who have a relationship with him, true Christians, Christ followers, he's going to take all of those who trusted in him with him to that place of eternal rest. But heaven's not for everybody. It's just for those 
who have taken that step of faith, who have said, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you came to die as a substitution for me, to pay the penalty instead of me for my sins. I believe I want your righteousness. I want to place my entire faith and trust in you. That's who heaven is for. I believe, Jesus, that you resurrected after three days, that you're no longer in the grave, and that you want to take people like me, sinners like me, to heaven with you. Maybe that's a promise you need to get hold of this morning. Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Don't walk away from here this morning without believing in the promises of God, obeying them, and finding your rest in them today. Are you with me, friends? There is hope, and that hope is our Savior, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. God, you are so faithful. God, we recognize this morning we need you. We are busy, God, sometimes for good reason and sometimes for terrible reasons. God, I pray that We wouldn't just look for rest in things that don't last, but that we would find our rest in you. That we would find our rest as we believe in the promises about you and about us that we find in your word. And God, give us that rest. And maybe, Lord, there's some here this morning that need to still enter into a relationship with you that gives them that ultimate rest in heaven for all of eternity. Lord, I pray that if that's true, that this morning, today, that they may ask those questions, that they may realize there's no rest for those that don't know you for all of eternity. Lord, thank you for what you're doing at Living Waters Fellowship for the people here and the people that they represent. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much. In your great name, Lord. Amen. Let's stand once more, please.